The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry Podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with attorney Laura Goodman of Margolis and Bloom on the subject of estate planning in the time of the coronavirus. Hello, this is Harry Margolis, and I'm delighted today that our expert is Laura Goodman, who's another lawyer at our firm, Margolis and Bloom. And we'll be talking today about estate planning and document execution in the time of coronavirus. But before we get into that, as we always do, we will answer and respond to one of the questions that we got on my askharry.info website. And the question is, should your durable power of attorney be springing? And, uh, and what that means is when you sign the durable power of attorney appointing somebody to be your agent to handle your financial and legal matters, should that appointment take effect immediately when you sign the document? or should only take effect when you've been determined to be incapacitated. Um, so should it wait to take effect until you actually need it, which is probably what you think should be when it takes effect. And that's called springing. That would be a springing durable power of attorney instead of one that's immediately effective. Laura, what do you think? I, I think it depends on the client situation. For most cases, I usually um, encourage clients to have a power of attorney that is not springing. And that's because sometimes it can be difficult to use a springing power of attorney. We've found that financial institutions uh, may not want to get involved in um, determining or certifying if someone has become incapacitated. And so that could lead to some financial institutions not honoring the power of attorney or putting up a lot of um, red tape in order for the agent to use it. Um, and a non-springing power of attorney usually is more straightforward and, and is easier to use. Um, that said, sometimes people don't have individuals in their lives who they are willing to give that level of power to before they are deemed incapacitated. In certain circumstances, someone might not be comfortable having a non-springing power of attorney. Yeah, I agree totally with that. At our firm, virtually all powers of attorney that we prepare for clients are immediately effective. Because if you make it springing, then the question is, how do you prove that the principal, the person who signed the power of attorney, is incapacitated? And uh, what you could do is have a place on the form for a physician to sign. But that means whoever's going to be appointed has to go through the trouble of getting the person's physician to sign the document. And at the same time, they're probably dealing with a lot of other issues that the individual has if they if they become incapacitated, whether it's through an illness or some sort of dementia. Additionally, sometimes people need their agent or attorney, in fact, to step in temporarily during a hospitalization or even while they're just traveling. And they might not even be incapacitated. And then finally, I, I'd say that all powers of attorney, to some extent, are springing in the sense that if you appoint somebody and they start acting when you don't want them to, as long as you're still competent, legally competent, you can revoke the power of attorney. 
So you do have that, that ability to unspring the power of attorney. So those are all the reasons that we discourage springing powers of attorney. But as Laura said, there are cases where you really don't have anyone you perhaps totally trust to act as your agent, but you need to appoint someone just in case and you'd really be more comfortable if they can't act until you're really determined to be incapacitated. And in those rare cases, we do prepare them for our clients. Moving on to the topic of the day, we are now, I think, more than six months into the coronavirus pandemic, which um, has been an adventure for, I think, everybody really worldwide, and certainly for us at our law firm. We Back in March, we shut down completely, and for several months, no one was going into our office, and then we gradually partially reopened. And, and we tried to continue to represent clients in the meantime. And I thought it'd be good to discuss, discuss with uh, Attorney Goodman how we did and, uh, and what we did, especially during the height of the pandemic, and then what we're doing now when it's a, a bit more in abeyance to help our clients uh, do their state planning and, and keep everybody safe. So maybe I'll turn the floor over to you, Laura, if you want to discuss what uh, estate planning in the time of coronavirus looks like. Sure. It's definitely been changing over the last six months at a pretty rapid pace. I think when the the lockdowns first started in Massachusetts and, and we all were ordered to stay home, initially we didn't know how long that was going to last. We thought maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a little bit longer. And so at, at first we were just rescheduling client meetings and things like that and document executions and saying, oh, maybe by May you can come back in. And obviously that timeline got pushed out further and further. So we had to um, make it up as we went along, like most other people have, have been doing in this, in this pandemic. But you know, I think the, the biggest shift was to u- utilizing things like Zoom and GoToMeeting for both internal and client meetings. We pretty quickly, we started scheduling all of our client meetings um, on Zoom or other platforms so that we could continue communicating with our clients face-to-face. Obviously, we couldn't do that in the office at the time. I think the biggest challenge we had, though, was with document executions because when we when all of this started, there, was, there were no rules in place around how to handle a document execution if you could not be physically in the same room. And of course, a traditional document execution, you have the clients and the notary and the witnesses, everyone has to be in front of each other in the same room, not very conducive to a pandemic. For over a month, we just couldn't hold them at all. In some cases, we eventually were able to work out drive-by document execution system where- so what, um, what is that? What's a drive-by <laughs> document execution? Was an interesting creature where we are each in our own cars and we find a parking lot or some empty area. Sometimes we would just use the parking lot at the office building and would have the clients in one car, the notary in the other car, and witnesses in one or two different cars, depending on whether they were family members or not. And, and we would use a conference phone and so that we could all speak to each other while we were in the cars and would have to arrange the cars strategically so we could each see each other. And then um, we'd have to go through the documents over the phone and hold up the documents to the window and make sure the witnesses could see them signing the documents. And obviously at the height of the pandemic, when people still didn't know how much the virus transferred on surfaces and things like that, we were even collecting them in sterile bags 
bags and leaving them in the trunk of a car for a day or two. So we're taking as, as many precautions as we could think of. And then fortunately, at the end of April, the state passed a remote notarization law. So this was a, it's, it's a temporary solution to a crisis situation. So it's not a perfect law, but it does allow us to conduct document executions over Zoom. And that really... That, that seems to be pretty complicated, the, the law itself. How does that work? It is. Yeah. It, it's great that we're able to do it, but there are a lot of guidelines that we have to follow. So basically how it works is we, the notary, the clients, and we also have to have witnesses involved. We all have join a Zoom meeting and everyone has to be located in Massachusetts. So if you're writing out the pandemic in New Hampshire or something, it doesn't work. So you still have to be in Massachusetts and you have to, the clients have to sent to the recording. They have to confirm um, that there's no one else in the room with them, or if there are people in the room, they have to identify the other people in the room. And at that point, we can go through all of the documents and the clients have to hold up their documents to the screen. I direct them to sign the documents after being satisfied that they've reviewed them and they understand them. And then they have to hold their signature up to the screen. We have to inspect IDs on camera the same way we would do if we were notarizing in person. And the somewhat tricky part is that once everything is signed by the client, they have to send all the documents to the notary and the witnesses as well have to sign their witness pages to the notary who then has to compile everything together. And at that point, the notary can complete notarization. So there's usually a time lag of at least a couple days between when the client sign and the documents are fully notarized. So it's not a, it's a little, it, it's not perfect, but, but it works in this situation. And I, I think when it was first passed, we weren't sure how long it was going to be in effect. And we didn't know how much we wanted to invest in it because what if the pandemic situation resolved within a month or so, but obviously it's continuing. And so it's, we're using it less. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're continuing to still use it, especially when clients have, maybe if they're immunocompromised or just for other reasons are unable or unwilling to travel to the office or do an outside document execution, we're, we're still able to utilize that in some situations. And isn't it even a little more complicated, this, this remote notarization statute, if real estate is involved? It is. Yeah. Often in our plans, uh, we have clients who are transferring real estate into trusts. And I'd say probably more than half of our plans involve deeds. And under the statute, in order to fully notarize a deed, you have to have not just that first Zoom when the client is signing, but then you have to have a follow-up Zoom conference call where the notary shows the client the deed that they have received, the signed deed and confirms that it's the document they sign and that's their signature. And then at that point, the notary can complete notarization. So it's an, it adds a day or so onto the process. And yeah, so it's a bit more complicated. I was saying so far, we ahead? haven't had any issues with the registry of deeds. They have been accepting the, the remote notarization of deeds, both the land court and recorded lands. Yeah, so far, so good. As you said, the, now that the pandemic is not at its uh, most virulent state, mm-hmm. we've been able to partially open up the office. And also, I know we also have a tent outside the office. And so I wonder if you could describe both what our protocol is for document execution in the office for those clients are comfortable with that and what we're doing to keep things in the fresh air as well as, as at least until things get too cold. Sure. Yeah. The, so we are able to hold them in the office. It's 
usually up to the client's preference and what they're comfortable with. So if they are comfortable coming into the office, we have two, in our office, we have two conference rooms, which we keep sterilized in between clients using them. And the way it works is we will, before they come in, we'll set out the documents on the table for them. And we have the clients sit on one end of the conference room. The notary or attorney is usually on the other end of the conference room. Everyone has to wear their masks. And when it's time to sign the documents, we have our witnesses stand outside because we actually have conference rooms where you can see inside. (laughs) There's a clear glass on the top. The witnesses will stand outside and watch everything being signed and then sign their witness pages separately. And then we put all the pages together at the end. For people who prefer to stay outside, weather dependent, we it's basically the same situation. We have a, a tent outside and a table set up and the witnesses will come out and stand at a distance and watch um, the clients sign the documents. So basically the same process, just it's a little nicer to be outside sometimes. <laughs> well, and also the, the science seems to be that uh, you're much less likely to, to get the coronavirus or pass on, on to somebody else if you're outside. So we feel that's... Uh, uh, quite safe. And of course, as you said, we're taking a lot of precautions for indoor document executions. Um, and we'll continue to take those, I think, indefinitely, even mm-hmm. especially as it gets colder outside and fewer people may want to trek out there to the to that to that picnic table. Is a picnic table or some kind of table, but covered with a roof. And but yeah, I, my, my guess is that this is going to continue for at least another year. And I don't see our protocol changing for at least another year. No, I think that's right. So luckily, obviously, we've been adapting and the clients as well have been very flexible and willing to to take whatever steps are needed. I think everyone's adapting to the new normal. Good. Thank you very much, Laura. We'll keep that up and and welcome any clients and, and keep them as safe as possible, as well as our staff. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. 